0: In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allah <laughs> alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I received a, let me start with this narration from the holy prophet about the merits of reason in Islam to connect the dots with everything that we have said so far. And then we'll do a little bit of a recap and continue where we left off from last lesson. So this narration comes to us from the Holy Prophet ﷺ who says, Everything has a tool and some equipment. And the tool and equipment of the believing person is his reason. And everything has a vehicle. And the vehicle of the full competent or mature person, al mar is the good man, uh, is his reason. kulli شَيْءٍ غَايَةٍ And everything has a purpose. And the purpose of worship is reason. And every people have a caretaker. And the caretaker of those who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reason. And every merchant or every businessman has a merchandise. And the merchandise of those who struggle in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reason. And every desert land a land that's not built requires some building and the building of the hereafter or the afterlife is reason and وَلِكُلِّ Safarin start, so start is basically the tent that you put to rest in when you're traveling so every long travel requires a tent where you can seek refuge during your travels and the tent of those who believe in Islam is reason. So this is just to basically connect the the dots and highlight the importance of reason in our faith based on everything we have said so far. To recap a little bit what we presented last week, we spent a little bit of time asking the question of whether it would be worth it for someone To spend time trying to find the answers about religious issues when the probability of finding an answer is not always very high. And the same thing applies to finding answers about the existence of God. Sometimes the probability of finding those answers may not seem very high. Or someone may say there's too much information out there. I don't know if I can ever reach the truth Or those are even matters that are impossible for us to find the truth about. We don't have the tools to reach the truth. There is no way to reach the truth. So why do we waste time on them? So we said that this is not how human beings deal with things that they consider important. Anything that human beings think is worthy of study, they're willing to put in time and effort and money They create academic and research institutions. They put in millions of dollars over tens of years or generations of researchers, build on the work of previous generations of researchers, all of them in the hopes that maybe they find an answer about something. Because that's how human beings are. If they think it's worth it, they're going to put in the energy, the time, the money. Even when we say, for instance, there's too much information. People who understand, really understand how much information there is to go through in the Human Genome Project, or how much there is out there to discover in space, and yet human beings still decide to put in money, create institutions, and spend decades of time of researchers all over the world working together to find some answers there. And sometimes they come back and they say, sorry, we didn't find anything, or we were mistaken, we followed the wrong path. So that on its own is not a valid argument to say this is not worth studying. The second item that we emphasize is there are ways for us to find the truth about these types of questions. Reason is the tool we have. If you want to rely on something like science to find answers for things like does God exist or religion, yeah, you're not using the right tool. So at the end you're going to say I don't have the tools to find an answer. If you use the wrong tool, you will never get the answer. The right tool for these things is your mind. It's reason and logic. Or you do uh, advanced studies in religion and in philosophy and you use your mind in the right way. There are tools. Or you rely on others who are specialists in this field and you can reach an answer. So it's too cheap and too easy and too lazy of an excuse to say there's too much information or we don't know how to reach the answer or we are not even sure if there is an answer to reach or not. And I'm not going to repeat everything we said about probabilities. There's actually entire books written about the probability of God, and things like that. So we did say that when even the probability of something, if it's low, but the benefit is high, and the opposite, if the probability of something is low, but the risk is very high, for instance, your life, then you have to look at more than one factor. You don't only look at the probability itself. You look at the worth, the merit of what you're talking about. If the benefit is still very high, then even though the probability may be low, you will still get into that business, let's say. Or you will still avoid that risk because the risk implies that your life will be lost. So that was one thing. The second thing is we said that there are many proofs for the existence of God. So why are there so many proofs? Because people have different capacities, different types of intellect, different needs. They come from different backgrounds. So for some people, intuitively, they may understand something and as a result, they believe in God. And we use the example of the old woman who was sitting when the Holy Prophet came and asked her whether she believes in God and how does she know that He exists. And she told him, this sewing machine that's in front of me would not move if I didn't move it with my hand. So you want this heaven and everything in it, and this earth and everything on it to work without a God, without that invisible hand making it all work. It doesn't make sense. And the Prophet praised her, and he told his companions, this is the type of religion that you should all follow. Why? Because it's simple, it's intuitive, it's uh, pure and true. But is this enough for all of us? First of all, a lot of us, this is not going to be enough for us by ourselves. That's one. The second aspect of that is there's also another duty. It's not our individual self, it's the duty that goes beyond us that goes beyond us, and that's a collective duty. That's our duty towards people we care about. That's our duty towards our children. that's our duty towards society. So if we don't understand these arguments in depth, we will never be able to answer them. If you're going to a university class and you hear the professor talk about certain things that may shake your beliefs, you have to equip yourself. It becomes your religious duty to equip yourself in that kind of environment. You cannot just go in there and receive these, let's call them intellectual blows, and just let it be. It's in no time, you will, your entire faith will be eroded. Because Not because there are no answers, because you're not equipping yourself. You're putting yourself in a situation where you're receiving these doubts, these questions, these arguments, and you're not doing anything about it. This becomes your religious duty to go and learn, research, ask questions, learn the arguments. So to do it in a smart way, you do it proactively. You don't wait to be in that situation and then you're asked a question and you have no answer and you go back in. And that's fine if it happens that way. But the other way is you're doing what you're doing right now, which is you learn it before it comes to you. You're always ready. You know what kind of questions, what kind of issues, what kind of doubts exist in the society, for instance, in the medical field or in the scientific field or in the People who study physics or people who study history or people who attack one religion as opposed to another or attack the idea of God. We know what the big questions are. Let's research them. Let's find answers to them. So this is in part what we're trying to do here. That was kind of the long introduction. And then we got into what we said is going to be the first strong proof for the existence of God. After everything we said about the intuitive belief in God that exists in all human beings, but on which we cannot rely because human instincts vary. Because we don't all have a strong, pure human intuition that's going to be available to us throughout our lives. Depending on our upbringing, depending on our distractions in life, depending, depending on a million things, our intuitive, our instinctive beliefs the ones that are supposed to be part of our human nature may be there and they may not be there. They may be strong, they may be weak. So yes, we said that human beings instinctively believe in God, but we cannot rely on that as the strongest proof for the existence of God because it's not systematic and not found in everybody. That's why we're going to go the rational way. So we said we're going to start with the more complicated proof for the existence of God. One, because it's a very strong proof. So it's worth investing a little bit of time in, even though it's a little abstract. Once you understand it and you can explain it to anyone else, that's it. No one can actually refute this proof properly. Okay, so I'm giving you the strongest proof to start with, even though it's a little bit more abstract. It requires a little bit more attention and concentration. But once you have it, that's it. You're good. And then, once this is well mastered and understood, we can move to the second proof that will come in the weeks ahead, inshallah. And that one you'll see is a lot easier to understand because it doesn't require that much concentration intellectually. This one is more abstract. We're only working with notions in our head. The next proofs, we're going to work with notions in our head as well as things in the outside world so it's easier to, to grasp and understand. So how did we explain the first proof? First of all, what is it called? So please concentrate so that afterwards if I ask questions, I have to make sure that everybody understood the proof. And my point, just so that you know, it's not that I talk and you guys only understand and then you leave, but if someone asks you about it, you're not able to repeat it in your own words, it's not good enough. The point of this is that you can explain it in your own words to someone else. So we have to make sure everybody understands it. So I'm not going to spend as much time as last time explaining it, because a lot of this is repetition, and I want to build a little bit more on it. But I want to make sure that every part of the proof is understood. So I'm going to summarize. Layer 1. Phase 1. When we're in our minds, in our minds we can think of three different types of things. Things that are possible, things that are not possible, impossible, and things that are necessary. That's in our mind. In the real world, there are no impossible things. Things that are logically impossible cannot exist in the real world. In your mind, you can imagine, you wonder, you say, can there be Can there be a 3 that is bigger than a 4? No, it cannot be. In your mind, you can manipulate those notions. But in the real world, that impossible relationship, you will never find it. Because that's the real world you can create the impossibility in your mind and think about it, okay? So now let's forget the mind and look at the real world. So what's left? From everything we can imagine, we know the impossible doesn't exist. So what are we left with? Things that are possible and things that are necessary. Possible in philosophy, the proper term for it, they call it contingent. Okay, so when you hear contingent, Contingency means possibility. Contingent means possible. Something that can happen. Okay? It doesn't have to happen, but it can happen. So when we look at the world, we look at everything that we could think of in the world, we see that it is contingent. It is possible. It's not necessary. It doesn't have to be. It could not be and the world would still function, there are no big issues that would happen if that thing didn't exist. We could imagine a world where that thing doesn't exist. So it doesn't necessarily need to exist. It can exist. And it does. So now let's take a second to think about that. What does that actually mean? That is because contingent things, possible things, their existence comes from outside. A contingent thing or a possible thing, a thing that can exist and can not exist, gets its existence from outside. It doesn't cause itself to exist. Something from outside of it makes it exist. So it depends on something else. It relies on something else. For it to exist, there's a condition, and the condition is that there's something else that makes it exist. It's a condition. It's a reliance. It's a dependence. Okay? I'm repeating it in different words so that it becomes clear. Everything that we see in the world is like that. Everything has something else that makes it what it is. If that thing were not there, that thing would not, the next thing would not be there. So it's caused. Something causes it. It's not its own cause. That kind of being, any being that we look at in the world, if it relies on something else to exist, if it depends on something else, if it needs a cause to exist, we call it contingent. Okay? We know what a contingent being is now? Clear? Okay. So what's the issue with that? What if everything is contingent? If everything is contingent, if everything needs something else for it to exist, then nothing is going to exist. Why? That's when we use the example of people who are about to run a race. If we say that there are people standing on a line and they want to start running and you tell them, are you going to run right away when we say run? When we say go, they say no. The first person says, I will only run if someone else runs before me. And the next person says the same thing. I will only run if someone else runs. It's a cause. I need a cause. And the third person and the fourth person and the fifth person, every person you talk to, they say, I will only run if someone else starts running before. I don't want to be the first to start running. Okay. So what's the issue? The issue is that no one will ever run. Exactly. So those things, those people, that will only run if someone else runs before them, are like the entities of the world that are contingent, that will only exist if something else exists and causes them to exist before. Keeping that in mind, now we come to the world. We come to the race. And we look at the race, we weren't there when the race started. But if you know that everybody on that line was not going to run until someone else runs before them, and you come to the race, and you see that they're running. What does it mean? I have a question. Yeah? You said you know that, in your mind, you know that everyone has to, like no no one's going to run unless someone else runs. How do you know that? So you don't know in the case of running, because in the case of running, it's not necessary. But the case of causality, it's necessary. And contingency is about causality. Long story short is everything you look at in this world is contingent. Contingent in the sense that it doesn't have the necessity or the necessary existence logically that for instance when we say four is bigger than three or three cannot be bigger than four. This is a logical necessity. It cannot be any other way. So can you think of anything that would have that kind of necessity for its existence. For instance, if I tell you, can you think of a triangle that doesn't have three sides? It wouldn't be a triangle. triangle. What we're looking for is something that wouldn't be what it is if it didn't exist. Just like a triangle must have three sides, we're looking for something that must exist. There has to be something that has existence in its meaning. When you define it, you say it must exist. How do you Well, I didn't add this piece, but I th- the questions mean that I have to push a little bit further. So I'm now pushing a little bit further. I'm trying to include the uh, the notion of existence in the thing. Okay. So if you take something, if you can, if you think about energy, does energy need to exist? No. Energy does not have existence in its meaning. Energy is something you can come up with in your mind or not. I mean, but if everything is energy and matter in the universe. Mm-hmm. If there's no energy and matter, there's no universe. Okay, but it's contingent. It could be that there is no universe. What's the problem with that? No, but it's contingent. It, it's contingent, at meaning that matter. Could have not been, but it is. Which means that we are looking at the race, where we're looking at the race, it means something caused it to be. Let me say that again. Remember the example of the race? We said that no one will start running until someone starts running. Now we're looking at the race, we weren't there when it started. And we went to this whole tangent because you asked me that question. We weren't there when the race started. We're looking at people and they're running now. So we know that someone caused the race to start. Now we have to come up with an explanation. When we look at the world now, we see that there is matter, that there is energy, that there is space, that there is a vacuum. But none of these things explain themselves. Because none of these things have existence in their definition. So it's like not, we don't know which one started first. None of them started first. Exactly. Of these things, what we know saying? none of them could have been first. Because they're only contingent. Because they don't have existence in their meaning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So something gave them existence. Nothing has existence exactly. in their meaning. That's what you're saying, right? From what we know. Like, uh, except that everything exists. So something must have existence in its meaning. If I don't reach an existence that has existence in its meaning... Nothing will ever exist. It's like the start. It's the start to every, uh, every contingent thing. Every possible thing is going Depends to rely out. on that. Outside of itself. That thing which has existence as part, part of its meaning. The thing which, in other words, the thing which cannot rely on anything else to exist. Why? Because it's necessary. If it can rely, matter, energy, it's going to get something from someone else, from somewhere else. It can be caused as a notion. It's not a logical necessity to say energy exists. It's an empirical necessity. So in the real world, when I look at it, I say, yeah, I I have a system where there is always energy. But it's not logically necessary. It's not like the necessity of the three sides to a triangle. That's a logical necessity. We just happen to be in a world where there's energy. Why can I say this with certainty? Because energy is contingent. Logically, energy is contingent. Yes, and that's all I have. And that's why I say it depends on the tools you use. I cannot rely here on natural science. Natural science says energy exists. If I say, does it need to exist logically? It can't answer that. I have to go to logic and philosophy and say, what kind of necessity do I have in energy? What kind of necessity do I have log- in matter? Logically, we never, we never uh, experienced a world without energy for, for us to know if it's uh, contingent or not. Did you experience a world where uh, three is bigger than four? Do you think there is a world where three is bigger than four? Bigger than four? No. Can there be a world where three is bigger than four? No. What if they define three differently? That, no. Would that change? Okay, well that's well, not three. It's not three. Not three no. Yeah, that's not three anymore. It's like, <laughs> 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 the like can, yeah can there be a world where a triangle doesn't have three sides? No, unless it's not a triangle. Unless it's not a triangle. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Then we're not talking about a triangle. A triangle Same thing. So even though we didn't experience a world where there is energy or there isn't energy, that's why I call it an empirical necessity. This is the experienced world. Fine. But you're at the natural science level. I'm at the logical level. It cannot be. So there's someone who came to Imam Ali salam and who told him, can your God, listen to the question, can your God take this whole world And make it fit into a space smaller than an egg without shrinking the world or making the egg bigger. Imam Ali answered him, that which you are saying cannot be. It's not that God cannot do it. You're asking for something that is, in our words, utter gibberish. It doesn't make sense what you're asking. Ask something that makes sense. Ask about something about which you can apply the power of God. You, the words you're uttering, that statement doesn't make sense. Okay? إِنَّ الَّذِي تقول لَا يكون That which you say cannot be. This is what... The imam didn't tell him, oh, there might be a world where this is possible, but in the world that we have encountered... No. He's talking at the level of logical necessity. There is no world in which we can imagine where that kind of universe can be shrunk into a place smaller than an egg without making the universe smaller or the egg bigger. That's the philosophical answer. It's like, it's like asking, can your God get me one that's bigger than two? Or exactly. create a rock that you can't lift? You know you what know i Or can God create another God? Yeah. Well, no, of okay, so if- Why? But so some people say that you're limiting the power of God. No, but it's just not if God has certain attributes, then God God has, he to, can't, be, God has
1: to be By definition.
0: By definition. God has to have existence into his description if God makes another God and the other god is not a god. god but if dead. you know if something has existence in its description like like it does. So what uh, so for, for energy and matter so if it uh, if they cannot be created or destroyed. Like, wouldn't that make it like sort of a like god? Yes. Like, so some people want to go there. So that's impossible because one as we said again and again for energy and for matter they do not have existence as part of their logical meaning it needs one or the other to be uh, the second piece that's one answer i don't know if that is clear no okay logical necessity logical necessity the triangle has 3 sides is it the same logical necessity that i don't care if there's a tri- where you find that triangle and in what universe a triangle will have 3 sides does matter exist in that sense? No. Does energy exist in that sense? No. That's it. So existence is not part of energy. That's what it means. Yeah. Existence is not part of the definition of energy. Okay. We happen to be in a world where if, and that's the second thing, if what current science says is true, then energy cannot be destroyed or created from nothing. And there's a whole bunch of scientists right now working on creating energy out of nothing. Okay, and they think they, they proved it, that it works. So maybe it is possible to create energy out of nothing. According to their definition of nothing, which is not really nothing, but whatever. Makes sense? So, layer one, even though we happen to be in a world, in a system, look at the world as someone who created an experiment. I created this vacuum, this aquarium, this lab space, where I was able to create our entire universe. And in this universe, I created one constant that's always there, that's energy. I could have created a different kind of world. But I created one where energy is always there. But that just happens to be, that's what it is right now. I could have created something different. So it's not a logical necessity. Even if I was only a, you know, a little whatever, (laughs) inside that system, inside that aquarium, my logic tells me that whatever outside world there is, a triangle will always have three sides. But energy will not always exist. It doesn't need to exist. It happens to exist. It happens to be a constant. But it doesn't need to be. But since... So all of that is not even the end of the proof. Now we go back to the proof. Now we go back to... We're in the race. We go back to when we see the world, there are things that exist. This is where we say, therefore, there must have been. Because if we weren't here to say it, the argument would not be complete. But we are here and we do encounter things that exist. And they're all contingent. None of them have existence in their being. We say therefore logically, for all of this to make sense, we need an existent, we need a being that has existence as part of its definition. So that that being, no matter what world you imagine, no matter what exists or what doesn't exist, that being is always there. Even if this entire universe didn't exist. Like a triangle, like a triangle but for existence. Yeah. If I have that being, then I can explain anything after. So how does that being have to be? It must have existence as part of its being. It cannot be material. It cannot be material because matter is contingent. It cannot be divisible into parts because if it you can divide divide it into parts it means it relies on these parts to come together then you go back to each part and you ask the same question it has to be absolutely simple no parts absolutely eternal if you go back as far back in infinity in time And as much forward in infinity in time, it must be the same. And then that thing can explain anything else. Now you can have anything you want and you can explain it with that being. That is called the proof of the necessary being. And the necessary being is God. So this is the philosophical way to prove the existence of God. So you say, I look at the world. Summarized, we talked a lot. It was supposed to be 10 minutes. We look at the world and we say, what exists in the world? Everything that we know that exists in the world is contingent. It doesn't need to be, but it is. That's why we have philosophers and scientists now right now writing books about why is there something instead of nothing? And that's really the the question that this proof is trying to answer. Why is there something instead of nothing? Can energy explain that? No. Can matter explain that? Why is there matter? Matter does not need to exist, but it does. Energy does not need to exist, but it does. So, this is not the answer. So the real question that a lot of physicists like Lawrence Krauss is trying to work on, and he wrote a big book about it, The universe, his book is called Universe Out of Nothing. And he's trying to prove that the universe can come out of nothing based on the new experiments that some physicists are doing to create energy out of nothing. Because if they can do that, then they will not need the necessary being. But until then, logically, you're stuck That's why we say it's a logical proof. It's a philosophical proof. Does matter need to exist? No. But their claim is yes, because they say there is nothing except this universe. Does matter need to exist? No. Does energy need to exist? No. We're in a world that it does exist. Good. So how do we explain it? Why is there something? Why is there energy? Why is there matter instead of nothing? So we need something to explain that. The why is there something instead of nothing. So philosophically, you can prove the existence of a necessary being this way. Since there is something, there must have been a necessary something that causes all the contingent somethings, which is everything else, to exist. So everything that exists is either necessary or contingent. What's the problem with things being contingent? It causes infinite regress. You keep asking, what caused this? What caused A? B. What caused B? C. What caused C? D. Okay, but I can't keep going like that forever. Otherwise, I would never reach a conclusion. If I reach a conclusion and I do have something that exists, then there must have been something that triggered it. And that's a necessary being. Now the big question. So let's assume now we use the normal words. Normal words is God. The philosophical world is necessary being. So what caused God? If everything has a cause, what caused God? Why? Okay. So the question, everything, when people say, if everything needs a cause, then where, what is the cause of God? Everything that needs every, a cause every needs contingent a thing, thing. No. thank sorry, you sorry. every contingent thing everything that need, has a cause needs a cause yeah. not everything needs a cause okay is there any part of this proof that is not entirely clear yet it's just we took so long trying to try convince ourselves convince ourselves that everything else is contingent right How would you tell someone else who's being stubborn (laughs) that stubbornness is not? But no, like for example, if someone told me that it wasn't contingent, like this thing is necessary, I would be like, okay, yeah, sure, because it took so long for me to get convinced that it wasn't that it was contingent in the first place. I don't think the issue is getting convinced. I think the issue is understanding what it means. It takes a while for someone to go into abstract thinking and to really understand logical necessity. People are stuck at what we call empirical necessity. Empirical is things you can see, touch, feel, hear, and taste. How do we take them from one world to another? Yeah, so it's logical. And that's why I shifted and I started giving you... Balaq was telling me last week, just give more examples. So I use the example of the redness of the apple versus the three sides of a triangle. This takes you from empirical necessity... Or empirical data, so data you encounter in the world, which is not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We're talking about logical necessity. So regardless of what you encounter in the world, a triangle will always have three sides. And if you encounter a triangle that doesn't have three sides, it's not a triangle. I'll give you another example, okay? Every crow has to be black. No, that's not a logical necessity. Maybe, maybe people have made up this law because they've encountered one, two, ten, ten thousand, ten million, ten billion crows and they were all black. They said, therefore, all crows are black. So when you run into an animal that is exactly like a crow but it's white, you may have to change your definition. Okay, that's empirical. It's not logical. You just happen to be living in a world where when you're seeing crows, they happen to be black. So every new black crow that you see just comes and adds to your general conclusion that crows, therefore crows are black. But there's no logical necessity. Like there is when you... It's not a matter of maybe I'm going to encounter a triangle that doesn't have three sides. That's a logical necessity. I don't need to go looking for every triangle to see does it really have three sides? Maybe I'm going to find the one that doesn't have three sides. I can't. If I found a triangle that doesn't have three sides, it's no longer a triangle. By definition, a triangle has three sides. By definition, a crow is not black. Blackness is a secondary descriptor, attribute, that happens to be there every time I've seen a crow until now. It's not necessary for the crow to be a crow. To be black. To be black. Yeah, it's like no, the secondary yeah. the secondary description of things yeah. is not necessary for it to be what it is. It's not part of its essence. It's not part of its nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes? Does everything that exists have a,
1: uh, like a logical necessity to it? You, you have, have
0: to t- say more. Like, I think like I know what you mean, but you're going to complicate things, but okay. Yeah. Like it's similar to how like a triangle has three sides. Yeah, It's must. Yeah. Everything that exists also has a must okay so there is a must to exist the moment all the conditions are in place for something to exist it will it must exist for this cup to be here let's say let's say there are three conditions okay if the three conditions are there then this cup must be here check 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 it means it must be here So the opposite, the opposite. If I come and I find this cup here, I can right away assume correctly that all three conditions took place. In that sense, there is a necessity, a logical necessity. But this cup does not need to exist on its own. It's a contingent existent. It's contingent that it can be here or it could be somewhere else. Okay? The conditions, the causes for this are not necessary. They're external to it. And the causes themselves are external. They were caused. And those causes were caused. Because everything you look at is contingent. Necessity is not part of its definition. Is that what you're asking?